0: This is democracy now.
1: I think you're all aware that the whole planet is really going through uh, you know a great deal of turmoil, you know, man-made or not. And everybody's dealing with their lot and for now this is it seems what we have to deal with. But to your point, Uh, Three floods in in 10 days or a week
2: is a bit too much.
0: The death toll from two weeks of flooding in California has reached at least 20. As climate scientists are predicting more extreme weather linked to climate change over the next two years, outrage is growing over how fossil fuel companies were fully aware of the link between fossil fuel emissions and global warming, but spent decades obscuring the science in order to make maximum profit. We'll speak with California Congressmember Ro Khanna, who recently concluded a congressional investigation into the allegations.
2: As early as the 1970s, Exxon knew not only that climate change is real, but that that its products, Exxon's products, were contributing to the climate crisis.
0: We'll also speak with Congressman Khanna about the priorities of the incoming Congress as the debt ceiling looms, calls for Republican George Santos to resign and whether Khanna may run for Senate or President. Then, the Justice Department and Congress face new calls to investigate Donald Trump's financial ties to Saudi Arabia. The latest controversy centers on the Live Golf Tournament, which is owned by Saudi Arabia's sovereign public investment fund. The chair of the fund is Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. It's paid millions to Trump's golf resorts.
1: Can you help me appreciate your decision to host this event? Well, I've known these people for a long time in Saudi Arabia, and they've been friends of mine for a long time. Uh, They've invested in many American companies. They own big percentages of many, many American companies. And uh, frankly, what they're doing for golf is so great. What they're doing for the players is so great. The salaries are going to go way up.
0: We'll also look at how Saudi Arabian government agents infiltrated Wikipedia to control information about Saudi Arabia and imprisoned Wikipedia administrators who posted content critical of the kingdom's human rights record. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. In Ukraine, at least 44 people were killed and dozens remain missing after a missile attack tore through a high-rise apartment building in the city of Dnipro on Saturday. It was one of the deadliest single assaults of the war since Russia invaded nearly 11 months ago. Officials in Kyiv blamed Russian long-range missiles for the destruction. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres strongly condemned the attack, calling it another example of a suspected violation of the laws of war. A Kremlin spokesperson denied Russia was responsible, suggesting the blast may have been caused by a Ukrainian air defense missile that went astray. Elsewhere, fierce fighting continues to rage in the eastern province of Donetsk, where Russian forces are seeking to take full control of the city of Soledar. Earlier today, the U.N.'s Human Rights Office— Confirm more than 7,000 civilians have been killed in Ukraine since Russia's invasion, though the agency believes the true toll is likely considerably higher. In Kyiv, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky cited the latest Russian attacks as the appeal to allies to send even more heavy weaponry.
1: Can Russian terror be stopped? Yes. It is possible to do it somehow differently than on the battlefield in Ukraine? Unfortunately, no. It can and must be done on our land, in our sky, and on our seas. What is needed for this? Those weapons which are in the depots of our partners and which our soldiers are waiting for so much.
0: The United States has launched an expanded combat training program for Ukrainian soldiers. The top U.S. general, Mark Milley, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, toured a U.S. military base in Germany Monday as Pentagon advisors began training about 500 Ukrainian troops in the use of advanced weapons systems, including artillery, tanks and missiles. General Milley's trip came just days after British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said the U.K. would ship advanced tanks and hundreds of armored vehicles and howitzers to Ukraine become the first Western nation to supply such offensive weaponry. On Sunday, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said he expects other allies will follow suit. Meanwhile, German Defense Minister Christine Lambrecht has resigned amidst mounting criticism from some NATO members over the pace of Germany's aid to Ukraine. On Monday, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz toured a German weapons promising to appoint a new defense minister soon. What is important is that when we set about the future of our country, we know that Germany needs a strong military and
3: an efficient defense industry.
0: Last year, the German chancellor pledged to spend over $100 billion to expand Germany's military. An Afghanistan armed men shot and killed former member of parliament, Mersal Nabizada, on Sunday in an assault on her home in Kabul. One of Nabizada's bodyguards was also killed in the attack, which also left her brother and another guard injured. Nabizada was elected in 2019 to represent Kabul and remained in office until the Taliban takeover in August of 2021. Her assassination came amidst a massive crackdown on the Rights of women and girls by the Taliban. Over the weekend, the charity Save the Children reported it has resumed a small percentage of its activities in Afghanistan for the first time since the Taliban banned women from working for non-governmental organizations. The group added in a statement, quote, the ban on female NGO workers on top of the existing humanitarian crisis will drive up the needs of children and have a huge ripple effect. It will mean Fewer women and girls are reached with essential support. It will mean more children are forced into labor and marriage. It will mean tens of thousands of jobs are put at risk across the sector, they said. Burkina Faso's government says armed men abducted more than 50 women in two separate incidents late last week in the town of Arbinda. The women were kidnapped as they foraged for leaves and wild fruit due to widespread food shortages in Burkina Faso's northern Saho region, which is under blockade by insurgents affiliated with al-Qaeda and ISIS. The conflict has killed tens of thousands of people and displaced about two million people across Burkina Faso since 2015. (sighs) mm <sighs> In California, the death toll from two weeks of heavy storms and flooding has reached at least 20 after record rainfall and snow continued over the long weekend. The director of the California Governor's Office of Emergency Services described the storms as, quote, among the most deadly natural disasters in the modern history of our state, unquote. In Ventura County, 17 inches of rain fell over the past week. Helicopters were needed to evacuate some residents in the county after flood and landslides cut off access to their homes. Nearly two inches of rain fell on downtown Los Angeles Saturday, setting a new record. Parts of the Sierra Mountains received over four feet of snow. Over the weekend, President Biden approved a major disaster recovery declaration for California. He plans to visit part of California's Central Coast Thursday. Meanwhile, climate scientists are predicting the world will see record heat waves over the next two years due to a combination of climate change and El Nino, a natural climate cycle that drives global temperatures higher. Climate scientist James Hansen and his colleagues recently said, quote, we suggest that 2024 is likely to be off the chart as the warmest year on record. In Germany, police say they've evicted all the climate activists who were occupying the western village of Lützerath. Hundreds of activists have occupied the deserted town for months to prevent the area from being mined for lignite, a highly polluting type of coal. Over the weekend, police used tear gas, water cannons and batons to clear the encampment. Medics say at least 20 climate protesters were injured. Swedish climate activist Greta Thunberg joined the protests over the weekend. Video posted online show police pushed her and others from the site.
3: The fact that all of you are here is a sign of hope. This is only a part of a much larger global climate movement, a movement for climate and social justice and racial justice. Literat, what, what happens in Literat does doesn't stay in Litterat. Germany, as one of the biggest in the world has an enormous responsibility you are showing clearly today that the changes will not come from the people in power from governments from corporations from the so-called leaders no the real leaders are here it is the people who are sitting in tree houses and those who have been defending Litserat for example for years now the carbon is still in the ground we are still here Litserat is still there And as long as the carbon is in the ground, this struggle is not over.
0: The World Economic Forum has begun in the luxury ski resort of Davos, Switzerland. On Monday, climate activists blocked a private jet airport used by many to reach the annual conference. According to Greenpeace, over 1,000 private jets flew in and out of Davos during last year's gathering. Meanwhile, over 700,000 people have signed an open letter to fossil fuel CEOs attending the World Economic Forum, urging them to, quote, immediately stop open any new oil gas or coal extraction sites and stop blocking the clean energy transition unquote. the letter was written by a group of climate activists including Vanessa Nakate of Uganda and Greta Thunberg of Sweden in Nepal. An investigation is underway into the cause of the Yeti Airlines crash Sunday that appears to have killed all 72 people on board. It was Nepal's deadliest air disaster in more than three decades. The plane had been traveling from the capital Kathmandu to Nepal's second largest city, Pokhara, where, when it began rolling from side to side before crashing into a gorge and catching fire, investigators were able to recover the plane's cockpit voice record and Flight Data Recorder on Monday. In the occupied West Bank, Israeli troops shot and killed a 14-year-old Palestinian boy Monday as they carried out a raid in the Dehesha refugee camp near Bethlehem. Omar Khomor was a student in the ninth grade at a United Nations refugee agency school. He was the 14th Palestinian killed by Israeli troops so far this year, and the fourth Palestinian child killed since the new year. His death came less than two days after an estimated 80,000 Israelis rallied in Tel Aviv to protest plans by Israel's new far-right government to overhaul the judicial system. Similar protests were held in Jerusalem and Haifa. A plan led by Benjamin Netanyahu would sharply limit judicial powers by allowing a simple majority of lawmakers to invalidate Supreme Court decisions." In Britain, the government of Conservative UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has vetoed a bill passed by Scotland's Parliament that would have made it easier for people to change their legal gender. The legislation was approved by Scottish lawmakers last month. It would make it simpler and faster for transgender people to obtain legal documents establishing their gender, would end the need for a medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria, and would extend those rights to teenagers as young as 16. It's the first time since the Scottish Parliament was established in 1999 that the UK government has used its veto power to block a Scottish law from taking effect. On Monday, Scotland's First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, condemned the veto as a full frontal attack on Scottish Parliament. In, in my
4: view, it will be uh, quite simply a political decision, and I think it will be uh, using trans people, already one of the most vulnerable stigmatized groups in our society, as a political weapon. and I think that will be unconscionable um, and indefensible and really uh, quite disgraceful.
0: In New Mexico, a Republican candidate who lost his bid for a seat in the New Mexico State House in November has been arrested for orchestrating shootings at the homes of four De- Democratic officials. According to the Albuquerque Police Department, Solomon Pena paid four men in cash to shoot at the homes of two county commissioners and two state legislators. He was arrested by a SWAT team Monday. Albuquerque Mayor Tim Keller described Pena as a right-wing radical election denier. Pena refused to concede his election loss in November, when he lost in a landslide. He also was a vocal supporter of Donald Trump. The New York Times is revealing some Republican insiders knew over a year ago that then-Republican congressional candidate, now Congressman George Santos, had made up much of his resume, including his educational background, employment history and religion. Santos's lies were exposed when his campaign did a routine background report on him, but the findings were not made public. During his run, Santos would go on to pick up key endorsements, including Kevin McCarthy, now the House Speaker— on Monday, New York Republican Congressmember Nick LaLota called on the Department of Justice and the Federal Elections Commission to freeze any money left in Santos' campaign account due to fraudulent activity. It recently came to light one of Santos's aides impersonated Kevin McCarthy's chief of staff in fundraising efforts. On Monday, McCarthy admitted he, quote, always had a few questions about Santos, but McCarthy has so far refused to back calls for Santos to resign. New York Mayor Eric Adams traveled to the border city of El Paso, Texas, Sunday and said New York City has no more room to house additional asylum seekers.
5: There's a conversation among those who are asylum, and, uh, migra- asylum seekers and migrants who are get- given the false impression that if you come to New York City, everything is fine. In New York, you go there, you're going to be living in congregate settings, that there is no
1: more room in New York.
0: The New York mayor used his trip to El Paso to urge the Biden administration to provide more help to New York, which has accepted 40,000 asylum seekers over the past year, including 800 in a single day last week. Eric Adams' trip was criticized by New York City Comptroller Brent Lander, who said the mayor's trip, quote, risks reinforcing a harmful narrative that new immigrants themselves are a problem. Oklahoma's carried out the first of what prison officials say will be 11 executions this year. Scott Eisenberg was pronounced dead at 10.15 a.m. local time last Thursday after authorities at the Oklahoma State Penitentiary strapped him to a gurney and injected him with a lethal cocktail of three drugs. Eisenberg is the eighth death row prisoner to be killed since Oklahoma resumed capital punishment in late 2021 after a six-year moratorium. His killing came as one of Alabama's largest suppliers of packaged gas said he'll refuse to supply nitrogen to state gas chambers. A spokesperson for the company Airgas said in a statement, quote, Notwithstanding the philosophical and intellectual debate of the death penalty itself, supplying nitrogen for the purpose of human execution is not consistent with our company values, unquote. And the acclaimed novelist Russell Banks has died of cancer at the age of 82. Banks was twice a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, known for drawing on his working-class background to write about criminals, outcasts, and revolutionaries. His books Rule of the Bone and The Sweet Hereafter and Affliction were adapted into feature films. His 1998 historical novel Cloud Splitter focuses on the revolutionary abolitionist John Brown. Russell Banks spoke to Democracy Now! in 2011 about John Brown's Life and legacy.
1: Brown um, sort of stood at that crossroads of. Um of religion and, and violence in American, the American imagination, and um, uh, righteous wrath, if you will, or principled violence. And um, and uh, he was our homegrown terrorist, but he was uh, a terrorist for a cause that, certainly today, we're universally in support of, which is the ending of slavery. And, um, and so, his story is still a very complicated one for most Americans.
0: To see our full interview with Russell Banks in 2011, go to democracynow.org. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now! democracynow.org, the war and peace report. Coming up, Congressmember Ro Khanna on the deadly storms and flooding in California, the new Republican-controlled Congress, George Santos, and whether or not Ro Khanna will be running for president or the Senate. Stay with us. Priests. This is Democracy Now, DemocracyNow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman in New York, joined by Democracy Now's Juan Gonzalez in Chicago, Illinois. Hi, Juan.
5: Hi, Amy, and welcome to all of our listeners and viewers across the country and around the world.
0: Well, we begin today's show in California, where the death toll from two weeks of heavy storms and flooding has reached at least 20, as record rainfall, flooding and snow continued over the weekend. The director of California's Governor's Office of Emergency Services called the storm among the most deadly natural disasters in the modern history of our state. President Biden has approved a major disaster recovery declaration for the state and plans to visit part of California's Central Coast Thursday. Climate scientists are predicting the world will see record heat waves over the next two years due to a combination of climate change and El Nino, a natural climate cycle that drives global temperatures higher. Climate scientist James Hansen and his colleagues recently said, quote, We suggest that 2024 is likely to be off the chart as the warmest year on record. This comes as recent study in the journal Science confirmed ExxonMobil was fully aware of the link between fossil fuel emissions and global heating, but spent decades refuting and obscuring the science in order to make maximum profits. Our next guest is California Congressmember Ro Khanna. He spent nearly two years investigating Exxon and three other major fossil fuel companies for their misinformation campaigns about climate change.
2: As early as the 1970s, Exxon knew not only that climate change is real, but that that its products, Exxon's products, were contributing to the climate crisis. At the end of the congressional term
0: in December, the House Oversight and Reform Committee issued a report, along with more than 1,000 pages of documents, showing how ExxonMobil, Chevron, Shell, BP and American Petroleum Institute and U.S. Chamber of Commerce hid their role in global warming uh, by misleading the public about climate change. Now the incoming Senate Budget Committee, chaired by Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, is expected to pick up the investigation. Congressmember Ro Khanna, Democrat of California and Deputy Whip of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, joins us now from Washington, D.C. Congressmember, welcome back to Democracy Now! We're speaking to you in a very different political landscape. Um, speaking of landscapes, what's happening in your home state— is, to say the least, chilling as the world warms. Um, Can you talk about the connection, which a lot of the media, though they focus a lot on California and what's happening, does not talk about climate change. You focused a whole hearing on climate change and came out with a report. Make the connection.
2: Well, Amy, first of all, thank you for bringing it up. It has been uh, devastating. I mean, I was reading about a five-year-old boy who was with his mother uh, flooding overwhelmed them, and the five-year-old boy was separated and has not been found. In my district, fortunately, uh, we haven't been hardest hit, but when I was back, the roads are uh, still uh, flush with water. uh, Driving conditions are very unsafe, uh, and it has certainly been uh, a challenge for residents. The reality is that we are seeing this extreme weather because of Uh, a higher uh, heat because of uh, higher pressure, and it's directly linked to the burning of fossil fuels that have changed the climate. The report I did, the investigation that I led as chair of the Environment Subcommittee basically found that Exxon, Chevron, and other big oil companies knew that when they were burning fossil fuels in the 1970s, it was causing climate change and that this was going to be a major problem for for humanity. They had the best scientists, and yet their CEOs, their executives, went out for decades and lied to the American public, did not disclose their own science. As a result, we never started the transition, and we are in the world of pain that we are in today.
5: Uh and, and Congressman, I wanted to ask you, given the fact that we're going to have a split control of the uh, of the Congress now, with Democrats in control of the Senate and Republicans in control of the House, your expectations of what can be achieved legislatively in terms of the climate crisis?
2: Unfortunately, I don't think much. Uh, that you still have so many climate deniers on the Republican side, even those who acknowledge that climate change is real, are not willing to make the investments in renewables that are necessary, to make the investments in energy and efficiency that are necessary, uh, what the right often does is mock those of us who care uh, about climate. So we have two avenues. One, Amy mentioned in the preview, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse is going to be chair of the Senate Budget Committee. My hope and expectation is that he will continue a lot of the work we did when we were in the majority uh, from the Oversight Committee. And then the White House also has the power to investigate an executive action where they can make progress.
5: And I wanted to ask you also about another looming threat, the debt ceiling uh, crisis. Tre- Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen notified Congress that the U.S. will reach its statutory debt limit this Thursday. Uh, What does that mean exactly? And what do you expect to be able to happen, especially given the tenuous control that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has on his own Republican majority?
2: This is one of the most important questions facing the Congress. It is important for people watching to understand this is debt that the United States already owes. We're not debating How much should we spend in the future? This is obligations that the United States government has. I believe that in this country we should pay our debts, Uh, and this should not even be a debate. The consequences of not doing that will be spiking interest rates at a time where the economy already is vulnerable. The consequences will mean that some Medicare checks, Social Security checks, uh, food stamp checks will not go out. Uh, So if push comes to shove, I believe the administration should act uh, within their own power, such as increasing uh, the interest rate on bonds uh, to be able to raise revenue. There are other avenues. But really, the Congress should do its simple task of paying past debts.
0: But we're not seeing that going in that direction. Um, I mean, isn't that what the conservative Republicans and a number of Democrats actually want, is to go after Social Security, to go after Medicare, to privatize? And this will be used as a way to do that.
2: Yes, this is what the Freedom Caucus wants. Uh, Of course, the consequence of that is also a massive uh, default of— Uh, the the U.S. economy and higher interest rates, probably a severe recession uh, and jolting the global economy. But they don't care. They don't they don't care about breaking the institutions, breaking the economy. You know, this was just a debate about Social Security spending. I'm for increasing the spending for John Larson's act that would actually increase benefits and not tax some of the benefits of Social Security for working class families. We can have that debate, and they can say why they want to cut spending. But what they're doing is saying they want to hijack the entire U.S. economy, subject it to collapse in order to get their goals. And it's going to be an ugly debate. And. Frankly, Kevin McCarthy is going to be in a very difficult position because they may threaten his speakership if he does what's right for the country.
0: Speaking of paying debts, I wanted to go back to the issue of climate for a minute and what you found. Um, it's about holding these corporations accountable to the tune of billions of dollars, which could be some of the financing of how uh, we deal with climate adaptation. Um, a recent AP piece said ExxonMobil scientists were remarkably accurate in their predictions, about global warming, even as the company made public statements that contradicted its own scientists' conclusions, Um, and, of course, the amount of money these oil companies made. What have you recommended in this report that just came out before the beginning of the year to actually hold these companies accountable? And would it be criminal accountability as well as financial accountability?
2: Well, they should be held accountable like big tobacco was held accountable. At the very least, Congress should pass financial accountability. One concrete place would be to prevent the methane leaks that are taking place in many oil wells, to seal them up, the ones that aren't being used to seal up so that we don't have uh, such increase in methane leaks that are one of the biggest causes of uh, further climate change. The reality of what we discovered, and we have documents for that, is that These oil companies, like Big Tobacco, lied to the American public. They lied for decades, and they're continuing to lie. When they say that they are for the Paris Accords, when they say that they're for climate uh, goals now, uh, that's actually just cover for what the documents show is, quote, a license to operate to increase their fossil fuel infrastructure. So they're actually not taking significant steps to lower emissions, they're using that rhetoric while making very small investments in clean tech and actually making massive investments in increasing fossil fuel infrastructure, increasing carbon emissions. So the pattern of deception continues.
5: Uh, Congressman, uh, I'd like to ask you about an unusual, I guess, bipartisan effort to boost. U.S. manufacturing that you're involved with, with Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, the National Development and Strategy Coordination Act. Could you talk about that and uh, why you joined with Senator Rubio?
2: Well, our country has made made a colossal mistake. Uh, When NAFTA, with the World Trade Organization, we basically sent over 70,000 factory jobs, either offshore or, or those factories got shuttered. Uh, We lost the means the the capability of producing things in this country. It's led to social discord. It's led to the gutting of communities. Uh, I believe we need a renewal of uh, industry, of factories in America. And I believe we do that with the federal government uh, partnering with business to revitalize places that have been uh, left out. Uh, that is what this bill is about. It's based on Hamilton and what FDR did. And FDR famously uh, with the War Production Board and the Federal uh, Reconstruction uh, Organization that really helped build the industry for America.
5: And and I wanted to ask you also about the change in Democratic leadership in the House. Uh, Clearly, uh, the group of leaders, including Nancy Pelosi, who are all over 80 years old, have uh, stepped down from their leadership posts. We have a new generation uh, with uh, Hakeem Jeffries and and other key uh, House leaders. Your sense of what this generational change is going to do in terms of Democratic uh, tactics and strategy in the House?
2: There's an excitement with new generation leaders. Uh, There's uh, more unity in the caucus than I've ever seen. I think uh, Leader Jeffries and Whip Clark are off to a a very strong start. Uh, They are uh, helping make sure that the Democratic caucus is united around our goals, and they're taking the fight to the Republicans. So it's been a very good two weeks for the Democratic caucus.
0: Congressmember Ro Khanna, if you can talk about what you believe should happen with Congressman Santos. I mean, it's almost become a joke now, except it's so significant and involves the balance of Congress. I mean, the latest news that George Santos's aide impersonated the chief of staff of Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy admitting they knew that there were— Uh, problems with Santos going way back. Of course, it's going to come out more Um, just lying about almost everything, not even clear what the guy's name is. Um, The Republican leadership of Long Island, where he comes from, calling for him to resign. Of course, Kevin McCarthy is dependent on his vote. Uh, What do you think should happen?
2: Well, he should resign. It's obvious. I mean, I don't know any other job in America— where you can go in, lie about your education, lie about your past employment, lie about your background, and then stay in the job. You'd be fired uh, one week later. You'd be asked to leave. So why is Congress different? Why can someone tell every single lie in a prospective job interview, which is what an election is, and continue uh, to serve? Uh, This is, in my view, common sense. He should resign. Every Republican leader should be calling on him to resign. But the
0: House wants to defund the Ethics Committee. That's one place where they could um, sanction him. Uh, How do you actually make this happen?
2: Well, they not only want to defund uh, the Office of Congressional Ethics. Unfortunately, the rule they passed really guts it. They uh, got rid of three of the four Democratic board members because of term limits. Uh, and they have made it very hard for the Office of Congressional Ethics to hire people. It was one of the most shameful parts of their rule package. Uh, Remember, this is an Office of Congressional Ethics that came about after the Abramoff scandals and has been pretty bipartisan and fact-based. They've gone after about 50 uh, Democrats, 50 Republicans. So they are lessening ethics standards in this country so much for draining the swamp. And The reality is the House Ethics Committee can still uh, investigate Santos, but as you know, those things can drag on, uh, and there has to be far more effort by leadership to get him to resign. When leadership wants that to happen, they can make it happen. They're choosing not to because they want his vote in a closely divided House.
5: And Congressman, I wanted to ask you about the continuing crisis uh, at the border, uh, how the Biden administration is handling it. Uh, you, uh, you saw the report that we had of uh, uh, Mayor Eric Adams of New York City traveling to the border because of the enormous number of uh, asylum uh, refugees who have been sent by Texas uh, to uh, uh, to New York City. Uh, you introduced a resolution recently calling on the U.S. to acknowledge its complicity in El Salvador's humanitarian crisis. Could you talk about what the Biden administration is doing and what you think should be
2: done? Well, in my view, this is a, uh, a, again, common sense issue. Of course, we need to secure our border, but we also need to make sure that every person has the right to file for asylum and to make sure that that asylum case is heard. That requires resources. That requires Congress to act to fund the judges to fund the asylum offices that can hear these cases. And in the case of people uh, fleeing actual violence, we have a, a legal duty, a moral duty uh, to make sure that, that, that we are a country that accepts asylum. Uh, of course, we don't want people coming with uh, fraudulent claims, but that can only be adjudicated if, they, if we beef up the asylum office, and that is what the president has asked Congress to do.
0: Following up on that, um, you recently uh, tweeted, The U.S. has never fully recognized its role in perpetuating El Salvador's civil war. I introduced a resolution today calling for the U.S. to support humanitarian aid and violence prevention for El Salvador and extend TPS for Salvadorans in America today. I wanted to ask you about that and a related question. We all know that the new House is um, saying that they're going to in, uh, investigate the intelligence committees. Uh, you had Kinzinger and um, Cheney um, on the intel- January 6 Committee, uh, Republicans regretting their limited role. Now they want to investigate that committee and intelligence. But progressives have long called for in- investigating intelligence committees. I mean, you had the committee hearings of the 1970s. Is there a way—and you're a master of working with the other side, also investigating what happened with Julian Assange and the question of what should happen to him, a number of people calling for just simply the charges to be Um, dropped—is there some way of uh, investigating the intelligence community from a progressive perspective?
2: Amy, unfortunately, I don't think in the current committee. I mean, the current committee is no church committee. The church committee, of course, did extraordinary work in uh, undercovering a role that the United United States agencies may have played in undermining democracy uh, in other parts of the world. And in El Salvador, as you're well aware of the history, uh, unfortunately, we provided significant support to the El Salvadorian uh, military, to some of the death squads uh, that uh, exacerbated the Civil War. And we have never acknowledged our role there. If this committee were looking at uh, overreaches of American foreign policy, uh, I would uh, happily have supported it. My fear is, and the fear of many of my Democratic colleagues, that the committee is going to go after the investigators of uh, Donald Trump, that they're going to be highly partisan in their approach. uh, And that I don't think Uh, serves any productive purpose.
0: And let me ask you about Julian Assange. There's going to be a tribunal at the end of the week at the National Press Club. Many major news organizations are calling for the Biden administration to drop the charges against him. He faces 175 years in prison in the United States if extradited, tried and found guilty. The New York Times, The Guardian, El Pais, Der Spiegel um, have called for these charges to be dropped, um, that freedom of the press is at stake. Do you join in that call?
2: Well, I have said that there's a reason President Obama never uh, brought charges against Assange. Whatever you think of his moral actions—and I have uh, not defended those—I do not believe that you can bring charges against someone simply for publishing information. If they were actual evidence that Assange himself had deliberately sought and uh, gathered Uh, classified information through illegal means, uh, then that is different. But if the charges are based simply on his receiving this information and publishing it, that, in my view, uh, affects the entire concept of freedom of press and has a chilling effect on publishers. And I've said that that is overbroad.
5: And, Congressman, I wanted to ask you, uh, one of your colleagues, a progressive congress member Katie Porter, has announced her bid for the U.S. Senate in 2024, as many expect uh, Senator Feinstein to retire at the end of her current term after serving for more than three decades. Uh, Wondering your thoughts about that. Uh, Any uh, thought yourself given to running for the Senate uh, uh, and uh, also other potential candidates for that seat?
2: Well, as you know, I was a co-chair for Bernie Sanders, and I've been flattered that many of uh, his delegates and supporters have reached out to me. But what I have said is uh, what I said six years ago, I had encouraged uh, Barbara Lee to enter the race, actually against Don Feinstein, and I said that I'm going to uh, weigh very significantly uh, what Barbara Lee, my neighbor, decides to do. She's been a very strong uh, anti-war voice uh, in the Congress. Uh, but I've been flattered that uh, people want me to uh, to serve, and I love serving in the Congress.
0: So, are you thinking of running for Senate or for President?
2: But certainly not President. I'm going to be supporting Joe Biden. If he didn't run, I'd support Bernie Sanders. Uh, in terms of the Senate, uh, I have said that I'm, I'm going to look at it, uh, but I do want to see uh, what Barbara Lee does, and, and I know that she's going to be making a decision in the next few months as well. We just went through an election. There'll be the next three, four months to sort it out.
5: And finally, I wanted to ask you about another piece of legislation that you've uh, uh, joined forces with Senator Padilla on the Peace Act to change federal standard for the use of force by federal officers to require that force be used only when necessary to prevent imminent death or serious bodily injury. The prospects for that legislation and why you decided to uh, uh, join with Senator Padilla
2: on it. I've been pushing this uh, for years. The idea that uh, our force, uh, use of force standard, should not just be what is reasonable, but should be the standard of force used in almost every other Western liberal democracy. And that is that force can only be applied when it is absolutely necessary in a last resort. That would reduce many of the uh, police killings of unarmed, uh, black and brown uh, men in this country. It would actually, in my view, put officers at less risk. The difference is uh, is, is is stark. Under a reasonable standard, if an officer thinks someone is uh, going for a gun or thinks it's appropriate uh, to use force, they can. In a last resort uh, scenario, the officer cannot use force unless they actually have. Uh, they're life threatened or someone else's life threatened. And we should move to the standard that some of the other countries have. That's what the Peace Act is all about.
0: Um, uh, As we wrap up, the question of documents, um, what has just overwhelmed the news cycle over the weekend is the revelations of President Biden um, having classified documents—of course, the comparisons, the numbers don't compare, um, at least what we know at this point, to Donald Trump—but having classified documents at his home, in his garage, at the Penn Biden Center. I want to ask you um, if—what you think should happen in this case, did you support the um, attorney general appointing a special um, counsel immediately to investigate this, Um, and if it raises overall questions about the massive overclassification of documents in Washington, the millions of people who have access to them, and the millions of documents that are classified?
2: Well, I certainly think there is uh, uh, over-classification. I've I've often said to folks, when I go into the SCIF and reclassify documents, I'm almost surprised that uh, I uh, am learning things that one could have just read in the New York Times, Washington Post, or uh, on Democracy Now. Uh, But the the, the point is that we do have to treat classified information very seriously, uh, very securely. I've never in the skip been able to take a document out of that room, and that, that's that's a good procedure. I don't understand why we can't have that in every branch of government. Don't allow classified documents to leave the premises. Uh, don't allow people to take them to their private residences or put them in some presidential center. It seems that's just a recipe um, for a problem. So I hope there'll be holistic reform. But the key difference, as you started with, uh, Amy, is not just the numbers of documents, it's how President Biden handled this. His attorneys uh, reported to the Justice Department on day one when they discovered these documents. In stark contrast, President Trump refused to cooperate defied subpoenas, defied law enforcement. And I have trust in Merrick Garland's integrity. So I think his uh, decision to appoint a special counsel is appropriate. As long as that special counsel is appropriately circumscribed, it doesn't turn into uh, some kind of witch hunt as independent counsels often do.
0: Well, we want to thank you very much, Congressmember Ro Khanna, Democratic Congressmember of California, Deputy Whip of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Uh, next up, we're going to look at two stories about Saudi Arabia, how the kingdom's funneling millions to Donald Trump's golf resorts, and how Saudi Arabia imprisoned two Wikipedia administrators who posted content critical of the country's human rights records. Stay with us. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman, with Juan Gonzalez. The Justice Department and Congress are facing new calls to investigate Donald Trump's financial ties to Saudi Arabia. The latest controversy centers on a new golf tournament, which is owned by Saudi Arabia's sovereign public investment fund. The chair of the fund is Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The new league has paid millions to golf resorts owned by Donald Trump, who's publicly supported the league. Uh, attempting to compete with the PGA.
1: Can you help me appreciate your decision to host this event? Well, I've known these people for a long time in Saudi Arabia, and they've been friends of mine for a long time. Uh, they've invested in many American companies, they own big percentages of many, many American companies, and uh, frankly, What they're doing for golf is so great. What they're doing for the players is so great. The salaries are going to go way up. You're so closely associated with the city of New York. You, of all people, understand the passion surrounding 9-11. What do you say to those family members who protested earlier this week and will be doing so again on Friday? Well, nobody's gotten to the bottom of 9-11, unfortunately, and they should have, as to the maniacs that did that horrible thing to our city, to our country, to the world. So nobody's really been there. But I can tell you that uh, there are a lot of really great people that are out here today, and we're going to have a lot of fun, and we're going to celebrate, and money's going to charity.
0: The group Democracy for the Arab World Now, known as DAWN, is leading the calls for Trump to be investigated. The group also made headlines recently after it revealed the Saudi government agents had infiltrated Wikipedia to control information about Saudi Arabia and imprisoned two Wikipedia administrators who posted content critical of the kingdom's human rights record. To talk about both and more, we're joined by Sarah Lee Whitson, executive director of DAWN. Welcome back to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us, Sarah Lee. Why don't we start off with Wikipedia? All right. What can I tell you? Well, start from the beginning. When we turn to Wikipedia to get information, when we're reading about Saudi Arabia, who's in control of that information? Explain what you learned and the lawsuit that you've brought.
4: Uh, Sure. So what we learned uh, following uh, the December 2022 ban uh, by Wikimedia of 16 administrators and users uh, in the Middle East uh, is that uh, they had uh, apparently an infiltration uh, by what they called external parties. Uh, We were able to piece together that the infiltration was by the Saudi government uh, of administrators, users and editors who were based in Saudi Arabia uh, and who were apparently uh, editing, posting, deleting content uh, relevant and important to Saudi Arabia in a way that promoted a positive image of Saudi Arabia and blocked information that appeared critical of Saudi Arabia. Um, What we also learned and pieced together was that two former administrators in Saudi Arabia had been arrested on the same day and ultimately uh, originally sentenced to five and seven years uh, in uh, Saudi Arabia uh, for what our sources tell us was their uh, uh, refusal uh, to post propaganda for Saudi Arabia and the Saudi government's discovery that they had in fact posted critical information about the country. Uh, This all became much more apparent when in September of 2022, a Saudi prosecutor increased the sentence of one of those uh, Saudi uh, administrators uh, to over 30 years uh, in prison. Uh, So through this uh, effort uh, uh, of research and investigation, uh, basically, we were able to uncover how the Saudi government had pressured administrators and editors in Saudi Arabia uh, to post flattering content and ban critical content about the country.
5: And Sarah Lee if these uh, these two administrators were arrested in September of 2020, what kind of publicity did this receive at the time? And uh, did it take two years for Wikimedia uh, uh, to be able to figure out what was going on here?
4: Well, that is a question more appropriately directed to Wikimedia. Uh, All we know about the Wikimedia Foundation, which oversees Wikipedia, Uh, is that in December uh, of 2022, they said that they had launched an investigation starting in January 2022, uh, and that the result of that investigation was that external parties had created a conflict of interest, those are their words. Uh, uh, They did not mention the arrest and imprisonment of these two uh, Wikipedia former administrators. Uh, In a subsequent statement, after we put out our release, uh, they they did mention the two administrators, um, but really it's not clear to us uh, whether they have uh, demanded that the Saudi government release them or in any way assisted or supported uh, these two former Saudi administrators. Uh, it would be very convenient uh, for Wikimedia to wash its hands of this matter uh, and to pretend that the arrest and imprisonment of these two men didn't have to do with their work uh, on Wikipedia, but that is uh, clearly uh, not true.
5: I'd also like to ask you, uh, you've called on the DOJ uh, to investigate the circumstances surrounding payments by Saudi Arabia's sovereign public investment fund to businesses owned by former President Trump. You talk about why you decided to make that call?
4: Sure. Um, So basically, on Friday uh, of last week, just a few days ago, an attorney for uh, the PGA Tours, which is involved in litigation against both LIV Golf uh, and the Public Investment Fund, revealed the contents of a secret shareholder agreement uh, that, in fact, uh, the LIV Golf is 93% owned Uh, by the Saudi Public Investment Fund, which is in turn controlled entirely uh, by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Um, This is uh, the first direct link uh, of direct payments, uh, uh, basically, by Mohammed bin Salman uh, to President Trump for golf events uh, that Live Golf uh, has uh, hosted on a number of Trump resorts. Uh, Now, uh, under federal law, uh, negotiations, business negotiations with a foreign government are clearly banned uh, for senior officials, including a a president, uh, while they're in office. But there are no laws that prohibit such business dealings after they leave government. Um, What's not clear and what we believe the DOJ should investigate is the extent to which These negotiations, solicitations, et cetera, uh, by Trump or his agents uh, were conducted with Saudi Arabia and its agents uh, while President Trump um, was in power. Uh, But more importantly, the fact that there's no law prohibiting a foreign government from paying uh, a former president mere months after He leaves office just like the two billion dollars Saudi Arabia's public investment fund uh, paid to Jared Kushner six months after he left office. And the one billion dollars they paid uh, Stephen Mnuchin, former Treasury secretary, months after he left office uh, shows how weak our conflict of interest laws are and the dangers uh, that this subjects uh, our democracy to. Uh, given uh, the fact that uh, government officials can uh, really just jump on the payroll of foreign governments minutes after leaving office. This has got to stop.
0: And what kind of support do you have, I mean, in Congress and other places uh, for exposing this and for doing an investigation? And if you could weave that into— what happened the last time we had you on? A federal judge dismissing the lawsuit filed by the fiance of the murdered um, journalist uh, Khashoggi, uh, who wrote for The Washington Post, um, in the uh, Saudi embassy in Istanbul, in Turkey, him throwing out the lawsuit, granting MBS uh, sovereign immunity.
4: Um, well, uh, um, I, you know— it, In terms of the congressional investigations that have been announced to date, Uh, uh, Former Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney uh, and Senator Elizabeth Warren both announced that they were going to be investigating uh, the payments uh, to Jared Kushner's Affinity Partners and to Stephen Mnuchin's fund uh, for conflict of interest for the reasons um, that I specified. Uh, And we are very hopeful that those investigations will now be expanded to include the payments to the Trump Organization. Um, Clearly, uh, uh, the many, many favors that President Trump uh, granted uh, to Mohammed bin Salman, extraordinary, unprecedented, uh, uh, self-admitted protection uh, for Mohammed bin Salman and his role in the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, uh, uh, is now uh, appearing to result in direct paybacks uh, for President Trump and his son-in-law and his treasury secretary. What else? We don't know. Uh, In terms of uh, Don's lawsuit against Mohammed bin Salman, um, which uh, was recently dismissed uh, because of the Biden administration's recognition of sovereign immunity for Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. I think it just reflects a ceaseless pattern of favors, protection, uh, uh, all kinds of grants of favor. We have three seconds. Not just by the Trump administration, but also by the Biden administration.
0: We're going to have to leave it there. Sara Lee Whitson of Dawn. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. Thanks for joining us.